Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and today we're extending our remake May uh, because we had one more movie that we wanted to squeeze in here, and today we'll be discussing the 2006 horror remake Hills Have Eyes, directed by Alexandra Aja and starring Aaron Stanford, Kathleen Quinlan, and Vanessa Shaw. This movie is about a family that gets stranded out in the middle of New Mexico and falls prey to some cannibalistic mutants. Um, Brian, I had never seen the original of this one. Had you? Uh, I had. I thought you had. I thought that's why we were doing this. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I I feel like I started the original, and we did uh, like once almost talk about it, right? Yeah, we got confused. Before we were recording a podcast, we were just doing this to catch up with each other. We like... I thought we were doing Hellraiser, and you thought we were doing Hills Have Eyes, so <laughs> yeah. we got on the phone, and we're very confused. Yeah, well, we got like five minutes into the discussion on the plot, and then we realized we were talking about different films, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Pins uh, in his head. Yeah. <laughs> Missed that part. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, now that you say that, I probably did see the original, but probably just forgot about it. Um, had so you, you seen... watched two movies, essentially, then? Yeah, yeah, I guess. podcast. Yep. I guess pretty much. <laughs> had you had you seen uh, the the this remake before? Nope, I had never seen the remake. How about you? Uh, okay, yeah, no, me neither. Um, but yeah, pr- pretty cool that uh, they did this one, and right around that time when they were doing all the remakes, right, like right in that early two thousand period. Yeah, actually, Wes Craven himself wanted to do the remake after seeing how successful the Texas Chainsaw and Amityville Horror remakes were. Yeah, wow. And then uh, why didn't he end up directing it? I don't know that he really wanted to. He he was a producer. Yeah, I see. Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, when when do you think uh, Wes Craven tapped out as director? Like, I can't remember this, the last movie. Or, uh, like, he was definitely active in the 90s directing. Into the 2000s, was he still directing, or was he fully producer by that point? Yeah, he directed Scream 4. Um, I think oh. that might have been one of the last things he directed, um, yeah. If not the last thing. Okay. And then, yeah, he was doing producer stuff, and then he passed away, I believe, in 2015. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before I get too far away from me mentioning Texas Chainsaw remake, uh, I've got a little bit of a correction on that episode that I'll talk oh. about at the end of the show. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know okay. we ever went back and corrected ourselves on things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our friend Mondo on the Discord server made a pretty good point that I, I feel merits a... Damn. A bit of a correction. All right. All in right. case anyone was very frustrated with us. Sure. That's a, that's a good cliffhanger. We got a correction coming up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I just don't have a great uh, memory then of the first film. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what some of the differences are uh, between this one and that one, if, if, if you kept track of that. Um, but, yeah, this director, we saw his film Crawl, uh, which I think was, was that 2019 or 2018? 2019. Wow. All right. That yep. feels like I know it feels ago. long ago. Yeah. We've, we've got um, uh we've got an episode on that somewhere back there. Yeah, yeah, wild. And uh he's part of the Splat Pack. Have you heard of these guys? I just saw that right before we started recording. Uh I feel like maybe I'd heard that term before, but I don't think that's something that really gets tossed around that often. I don't know. Have you heard <laughs> that before? No, I I mean you would think we would know about it since like we've seen some of these guys' films. Yeah, since we know so much. I know. Look at us. If we don't know about it, it's probably not a thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably like just one person probably just came up with that term or something. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Some uh, some journalist coined the term, and I don't know if it really stuck. Oh, okay. But it's like this guy, Eli Roth, James Wan, Rob Zombie, kind of a random assortment of people. Yeah, like a new wave of directors in the early 2000s making pretty gory movies. Yeah, yeah. Um who did check Texas Chainsaw again? Uh, I forgot who directed that film. The the remake. Oh wow! I already forget too. Yeah, that, I'm surprised. Oh no, name. it was um. Oh, it'll come to me. Someone we liked, I think. The Don't Breathe guy, right? Oh yeah. Fede Alvarez. No, that was that's Evil Dead. Oh shit! Okay. Shoot, uh, I don't know who did Texas Chainsaw now. Yeah. Damn, we're like one week out from it. That was yeah. <laughs> A lot has happened since then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I'm surprised he's not also, or maybe he is part of this plot pack. I'm not sure. Um, 
So uh, genre-wise, uh, what is this? Mutant horror? Is that is that what it is? Uh, I, mean, I still would call it like a hillbilly horror, but yeah, with a, a nice twist that they're mutants. Yeah. I, I actually, I didn't pick up on watching it that they're mutants. I, that's just something I read about, but is that clear in the movie that these guys are mutants? Yeah, well, mutants, honestly, is probably a pretty offensive term, I guess, when you think about the, uh, the context of the story here, because there are people who have genetic defects from nuclear fallout, from nuclear testing done by the U.S. government. Yeah, right. They, you mean the people in this movie, not mutants in general, right? Yeah, people yeah. in this movie, mutants in general, are like Toka and Razor from Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> yeah, and and like the X Men, where like they have mutant powers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, but you know, interestingly enough, there there weren't supposed to be mutants in the first one, mm-hmm. but Michael Berryman, who played Pluto in the first one, he's the guy with the uh, the condition where his head is kind of an elongated shape. He's on the cover yeah. of that old one. Yep. He, his dad was a Navy surgeon who somehow was attached to the Marines as well. I don't know how all that works, but he was in Japan to see if there were neurological issues after the atomic bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. He was exposed to radiation and that caused Michael Berryman to have a condition called hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia. Wow. What's um, that? Which is... think he grows i don't remember the details of that condition but i think two of the major things are that he grows no hair and he has no sweat glands oh okay and then he's also got synostosis of the cranium which is why he's got that elongated head head shape oh i see okay and did that like so like that's a real life example of kind of what this movie is talking about yeah interesting so yeah i didn't realize uh, any of like the conditions you see on camera here or like anywhere close to being like real things. They were based on real conditions. Yeah, I yeah. they may very well be pretty exaggerated for the film, but um, but yeah. Do you think like this film? Because uh, I I know like uh, you know it starts off and the whole premise is like a lot of these people were were impacted by the nuclear bomb testing in the fifties, sixties, or whatever, um, or before that probably. But um, is this supposed to be like a PSA about like the impacts of nuclear radiation? Um, like, are we supposed to be taking that part seriously? I think so, man. I think it's, uh, if not a PSA, just a like, hey, here's a real life horror, what your government is doing. Yeah, yeah. Which we can all relate to these days. True. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that part, uh, it did feel like pretty fresh in terms of like, uh, these are the people who are like, yeah, being hurt by some condition and taking it out on this like kind of privileged family in a way. Yeah, and um, the intro like the credits are interspliced with images of children with deformities and uh they were victims of agent orange i think those were real pictures of kids who were victims of agent orange right from Um, like vietnam uh the vietnam war right yeah yep yeah yeah the the movie i think like tonally is kind of interesting because uh i I think uh you know the like i didn't pick up that these were mutants i I thought they were just kind of goofy monsters but then like to have that layer around like this is all because of like bombs and uh you know government testing and stuff uh it kind of creates a weird uh um tone for the movie yeah but uh, a lot of that like it actually yeah and a lot of that's like was similar to the original in the original, they were a cannibalistic tribe of weirdos, but there wasn't anything about like them being um, deformed or, gosh, I oh. feel like that's probably not the right word to use. But um, there were just people sure. who ate people. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that's all. Just just like a cannibal tribe. Yeah. Pretty much, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Huh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, dimension they added on for this one. Um, yeah. Did you notice, uh, I think they were threatened with like an X and NC-17 rating uh, because there are like some pretty like dark things that happen in this movie. Yeah, it is a dark movie. Yeah, they were threatened with an NC-17 rating and the original was threatened with an X rating. Oh, okay. Yeah. So about two minutes were cut from this movie. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, Yeah, I don't want to know what that was. Uh, (laughs) But they, this one's a pretty big success. Uh, it made seventy million on a fifteen million budget, which I mean, you think that's a commercial success? Oh yeah, for sure. I feel yeah. like that's what like fourfold. Yeah, four times the so. budget, the reported budget anyway. So I, that's yeah. considered a success. Cool. 
Yep. And then uh, the other thing you, you mentioned, one of the mutants, uh, you mentioned their name, Pluto. Um, so, yeah, when reading about this, all the all the characters, uh, they did have names, but I didn't get any of that from the movie. How did you know their names? Um, a lot of it was just kind of from the, I could tie them back to the original in which their names were more prominent. Okay. Um, and grabbing it from IMDb and stuff. But yeah, the names weren't as prominent in this one. The names were more prominent in the original, I think. Oh, they were? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was surprised they all, there was like a whole like family structure here. Right. It's interesting. Papa Jupiter and everybody else. Yeah, yep. Um, otherwise, like plot-wise, very similar to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, that uh, House of a Million Corpses, was that what that was called? House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh yeah, Thousand Corpses. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you are like the third person on a podcast this week that I've heard mispronounce that. <laughs> really? That movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our, uh, so our our listener and who's who like co-hosts our Discord server, Blake, uh, he's got a podcast called Midweek Matinee that's very good. Everyone mm-hmm. should check it out. But they covered it and he called it House of One Thousand Corpses. <laughs> Which is technically what it's called, but no yeah. one says that. Yeah, yeah, should be a thousand. That's funny. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Lady Phantom on movies in 4K called it House of Ten Thousand Corpses. <laughs> it's a hard number to get right. Stuff. It's a lot of corpses, mean, one way or the other. Yeah, I know. And after like the point two or three, made. yeah, yeah, the points are made exactly. <laughs> it's tough to keep track of all those commas and decimal points. Don't tell me about square footage. Tell me how many corpses would fit in this house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unchopped. <laughs> Full body corpses. <laughs> Grown uh, adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, was anyone from the cast uh, familiar to you? I, I didn't recognize anyone, did you? I didn't really, but um, Doug, I just found out, Doug, who ends up kind of being the main character, played Pyro in like X2 and The Last Stand. Yeah, yeah, right. That was kind of fun. It's kind no, of funny. I didn't really recognize anyone as I was watching it, but uh, Big Bob, well, I'll save it. We've got an Ohio connection. Okay. Later that'll touch on it. All right. Um, yeah, but you know, you're exactly right. It's kind of funny because uh, he's in two mutant movies, then he's in X Men in, in the series. Oh, there you go. So, very, very interesting. Yeah. Any other like interesting facts about the movie that caught your eye? Um, nothing too crazy. Effects were done by KNBEFX Group. Um, mostly Can... practical effects, but some some visual effects were done as well. Is that uh, an effects group anyone should know of? Yeah, um, it is. We've mentioned it on this podcast a few times, but it's Greg Nicotero, Howard Berger, and uh, oh, Robert Kurtzman. Okay. All like legendary effects guys. They've got their own group. Robert Kurtzman left, I think. Um, so I think it's now just Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero. Okay. And Greg Nicotero produces a bunch of stuff now. Um, I think he's a producer on Walking Dead, but don't quote me on that. And they do effects for Walking Dead. And I think he produces Creep Show, the Shutter series. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Okay. They're awesome. a renowned special effects group. Did you see uh, the special effects in this were like a mix of practical and CGI? Yeah, yeah. They, they I think, did CGI on some of the children's faces. Oh. And on a character named Ruby's face, which honestly makes sense because you probably don't want kids or maybe aren't even allowed to have kids, like, sit in a makeup chair for four hours to get oh. all the prosthetics applied. Yeah, I guess. I guess I could get messy. Yeah. The, though, uh, yeah, the, the kid in this one, Ruby, I, I didn't feel like uh, she had a lot of effects compared to like some of the other guys. Yeah, yeah, she was just a, a touch. Yeah, right. Touch. You, and they, you yeah. think that was CGI? It was. Uh, hers was a mix of CGI and practical. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And she was. She. We call her. Call her a kid, but I think she was technically an adult, just a young young woman. Yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, any other background? No, I think I'll go into the Ohio connection if you're cool with that. Yeah, let's hear it. So Ted Levine, oh, from our friend Alex of Jukebox Bar and Tavern and Restaurant. I don't know. I need to ask him what he calls this place. (laughs) Um, I think it's Jukebox Tavern, but, um, anyway, I'm rambling. Alex says, Ted Levine plays the patriarch Big Bob Carter. 
He is best mm-hmm. known for his role as Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs. I did not catch that when I was watching. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was born in Bel Air, Ohio. Bel Air, Ohio? Yeah. I don't know. It was a Bel Air, Ohio. It's, <laughs> it's probably nicer. Yeah. That's, that's um, a... The oh, family is also it? traveling from Cleveland to yeah. California. And Wes Craven, of course, as we've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, was born in Cleveland. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that's where I thought he was going to go. But that, that's really interesting. That big box yeah. from uh, Bel Air, Ohio. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, and uh, if you want to drive by and pick up a beer, uh, you live in the Cleveland area, go to Jukebox, jukeboxcle.com to find out how you can order some drinks and go pick them up safely from your car. And then you can head over to Bel Air. And then, <laughs> yeah. You think that's like in the Cleveland area Jump or somewhere in a else? cab. Yeah. I don't know where it is. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Um, well, cool. Any anything else? That's it. Should we move into the plot? Yeah. I well, yeah. I guess when uh, th- this has like a, I, I guess critics uh, gave this. Uh, I think on Rotten Tomatoes it has like a fifty-four, fifty-eight percent. So it seems like uh, pretty middling reviews. Pretty okay. decent, I guess, for a horror film. What do you think? I didn't check those. Yeah, that's interesting. All yeah. Right. All right. Noted. All right. All right, Brian, let's take a quick break before we dive into the plot. We'll hit the spoilers and then uh, we'll give our review. Um, But before we do that, uh, do you mind if I quickly uh, go check the front door? I thought I heard a knock there. Okay. Yeah. Be careful. Get your face mask on. Oh, yeah. Thanks. All right. I'll be right back. All right. All right. All right, hey, Brian, I'm back. Yeah, everything okay? Yeah, randomly, uh, there was this bag uh, left at my front door that just had, like, some really weird, like, uh, things in there, like necklaces and, like, phones from the 90s and uh, some random bracelets. Uh, I'm not sure what to do with it. (laughs) Kind of weird. Some telephone cords. Nice. Yeah. Get out those 90s phones and play that little worm game. Oh, snake (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, snake. (laughs) Oh, man, that was a classic one. Worm That was good. Yeah, <laughs> the worm going around the screen. Um, all right, cool. So uh, let's talk about the plot, and, and I'll spoil the film a little bit. But uh, So this movie kicks off with um, a note that just kind of says, the U.S. government did all this nuclear bomb testing back in, well, like the 40s, 50s? Is that right? Yeah, I think it was like 40s through late 50s, or early 60s. Yeah, Okay. And um, that's that's kind of it, that this was going on. And then uh, we zoom in on these scientists who are walking around in these uh, big uh, scientist suits, these, these lab uh, suits or whatever, uh, around the desert, and they get attacked by some monsters. We don't, I don't think we see too much of the monsters here, but uh, it, it is kind of like a full-on attack scene. Yeah. Um, did you like this opening? Um, yeah, sure. Nothing yeah. too special, but it works. Yeah, it kind of sets the premise that there's people getting killed in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So then we, we jump to present day, and there's this family who that consists of a, a dad, a mom, two daughters, a son, a son-in-law named Doug, who becomes the main character later, and uh, their, and his granddaughter, well, his daughter, um, and then two dogs as well. And as Brian mentioned, they're driving from Ohio to San Diego for the 50th anniversary of the parents. Um, they stop at this gas station along the way, and the owner tells them that there's a shortcut if they take this turn up ahead. Um, and previously, we saw that this owner had just received a bag of some random goods, which I'm assuming was like a bribe. Is that right? I think it is. I think it's like, keep like feeding us people, and we'll keep giving you all their stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, not a bad deal. So, he uh, he tells them... <laughs> Yeah, keep, if, if you take the shortcut ahead, you'll get to California quicker. So the family decides to do that. Um, but while they're going down this pretty empty uh, road, this dirt road in the middle of the desert, they run over some spikes that were laid across the way, and they end up getting stuck out there. So then the father decides to head back to that gas station, which is like a seven-mile walk, and the rest of the family kind of just hangs around there. Um, at the gas station, he finds the owner outside, but uh, the owner is like yelling that um, he can't do this anymore, and he ends up killing himself. Did this remind you a lot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre opening? 
Um, trying to think. Oh, because of the, yeah, the suicide there. Yeah, that that like woman earlier on like kind of gets in the van and kills herself. Yeah, um, it, it didn't remind me of it, but I guess yeah, similar similar theme there. Yeah, kind of like a, a a word of warning from someone who's about to kill themselves and, right, and then shoots right. themselves in the head. Kind of yeah, the like harbinger of doom is a common trope. Exactly. In horror. Yeah, yeah, it seemed to be a big trend back then. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, when, when, once this guy kills himself, uh, kills himself, the dad tries to escape. He gets in into a car, but uh, in the car he gets ambushed by one of the mutants. Uh, and and we're kind of seeing that like someone's watching this family in the desert, like through binoculars and stuff. Right, right. And I think he, the dad goes into the station and stumbles upon like news clippings about nuclear testing and the government right. destroying a mining town and uh, a more modern headlines of families disappearing. Oh, yeah. I totally missed those uh, cues there. <laughs> that that makes sense though. <laughs> uh, that also sounds like really familiar to another movie we've seen where like they kind of just stumble across like some news clippings that give away the plot. Yeah, news clippings on a wall in a room is always kind of a weak <laughs> plot point to me. I think you're yeah. thinking of uh, quarantine what kicked off, off oh, this Oh, yeah. Right, like, yeah, yeah, she finds all <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always frustrating when the director, like, kind of uses that as a way to, like, yeah, educate the characters. Yeah, right. Give the plot I get away. it. And in this one, it was kind of a, it, it wasn't enough of a huge plot point. We already kind of got the gist. Well, yeah. some of us did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, he gets ambushed in the car. Meanwhile, back uh, where the family is, uh, one of the dogs had wandered off, and the youngest son goes off to find it. And another like kind of typical thing from a horror film, he finds the dog, but it's been killed, which is basically what happens anytime a dog goes missing, right? In yeah. Horror films. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think it happens in another movie we're talking about tonight. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know two movies, <laughs> same exact thing. Uh, he freaks out, but like while he's running back home, he trips and falls. Um, and we see two other uh, of these mutants uh, kind of uh, find him. And, and this is where we're introduced to this young girl, Ruby, who's one of the mutants. And she kind of almost it seems like she's taking a liking to the boy and kind of protects him. Yeah, she's almost but, like keeping watch over his body when he falls. Yeah, yep. Uh, but his family eventually finds him and brings him back to the camper. Um so then that night, while the family's going to bed, this fire starts outside of their camper, and, and they hear their dad yelling, and they go out there, and they see he's being burnt alive. So some of them run off to help him, but while they do that, these other mutants break into this trailer, and in a pretty like dark scene, they end up uh, raping one of the daughters. The other, uh, the sister comes back, and uh, they end up molesting her, and then the mom comes back in, uh, and she gets shot and killed. And then they kill the other daughter. I mean, this is pretty uh, messed up, right? It is very brutal and, like, it's just so, like, quick and dirty and shocking and gross. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. tough. I mean, this is exactly what happened in the original, too. So, do you Wes think Craven makes some dark stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, did you feel, like, see, obviously, like, what's going on here is, like, really shocking. But in the way it was captured... Uh, did it feel like, uh, do you feel like it, it was, um, disturbing enough for like, for what was actually happening? I think it was. Um, and I, I sometimes hear people say like they don't want guns in horror movies cause they're not scary. Like, sometimes what's more scary to me is a non-creative kill with a gun because it's so real and so brutal. Like, mm -hmm. it, and it's very quick and no fanfare and someone's just gone and it's like, yeah, it it just makes it you feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you even more as the viewer. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it was very scary and very intense. But what did you think? Uh, you're talking about the gun in terms of like the how they shot the mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, like that kind of random violence versus like this big drawn out like gun scene uh, probably is like a lot more realistic and scary. Yeah, um, and they shot the uh, the older sister, right? Or maybe. Oh yeah, you're them. right. Yeah, they shot her in the head, right? Um. I, I guess uh, I feel like the rape scene, uh, I think maybe because the guys are like laughing the whole time and, and the camera work, um, I don't know, like like it, w when I like s saw it, I had to like kind of look it up and like, is that really what happened? Because it's not entirely oh, I clear. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I don't feel like it was entirely clear that like a rape happened. And um, I, I don't know. Did you feel like that was obvious? Um, 
I, yeah, I feel like it was implied enough, but honestly, maybe that was the two minutes that were cut or part of it. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was the part they stripped down. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I had to look up the the plot and it was like, oh shit, this this woman just got raped in there. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is like a really quick scene, and the guy, the the mutants are kind of like uh, laughing and stuff, and um, right. yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, finally, uh, the the son and the son-in-law Doug come back, um, and uh, you know they, the the other zombies or the, sorry the mutants they run off, and so we're left now with uh, the daughter, the son, and the son-in-law Doug. Um, and you know they're pretty freaked out. They're, the granddaughter's been kidnapped by the mutants. Um, there's like a walkie-talkie, and they can hear them talking, and they're just kind of like wondering why like these guys are doing this to them. Um, so the next day, I think Doug heads out uh, looking for his daughter, and he takes the dog with him. They stumble across this village, which is very like 1950s, 1960s era, uh, old houses, and like a lot of mannequins around. Uh, what did you think of this setting? I thought that was so cool. So it was essentially like a test village that the government had built to s- examine the effects of like nuclear explosions, like what it would be on a town. On like mannequins? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> Which is, I'm pretty sure, a real thing. I didn't look that up, but I think they actually did that. Ah, okay, okay. Um, so it's this very eerie, like cookie cutter, middle class, upper middle class neighborhood with 40s, 50s decorations and architecture and it's like just odd it's very eerie like yeah mannequins on swing sets swinging and sitting in couches in these houses it's it's strange it is yeah yeah but it's like yeah it's pretty effective in terms of like a a scene for like someone to be wandering through and uh for anyone who hasn't seen the original or forgets this is this movie's almost been beat for beat with the original up until now like this little town setting is Mm -hmm. the is the change essentially the difference interesting okay and oh, the fact this... that they're these people are victims of nuclear fallout that's yeah. that's different from the first one too uh wait what was the town like in the first one there was no real town they just went back to their like the little mine? fort <laughs> yeah mine <laughs> okay yeah. they're uh yeah they're they're like cave it was more of a cave i think in the original i don't even remember a mine Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I think the story is here that like these people like were living in the mine or something when the nuclear bombs were going off or something. Yeah, it was like a mining town. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, he's wandering around this uh, weird like vintagey town, um, and uh, there he finds this house where um, his baby is on this bed, and he goes to grab her, but he gets, uh, you know, captured by this one uh, woman, one of the mutants. Um, they lock her in a, they lock him in a cabinet, but he manages to escape. Then there's a big fight scene between him and one of the other mutants. Um, this guy, what, what was his name? Was he Pluto? Yeah, I think he was Pluto. Okay, really like huge, like kind of tough guy, and so yeah. it's it's a drawn out fight scene. Um, before Very the fights, disturbing appearance. Yeah, yeah. Um, before the fight scene, there's that one bit of dialogue where one of the mutants who's like in a wheelchair, I think, or, or in, a, in a chair, um, is telling him like, you know, your government brought this all on us. We're, we're here because it's your fault or, or something like that, right? Right. Your people. Yeah. Right. So you kind of yeah, get the this. The one in the chair has a, a condition where his brain is so large that his he's essentially weighed down by it. And he's sitting in a chair with his head like cocked all the way backwards. His head yeah. just essentially on another like on a table or something like that right yeah right yeah his head's too big um (laughs) (laughs) it needs a right yeah his head's too big move (laughs) on yeah uh yeah but yeah i think this sets up the whole like us versus them mentality and like um you know these guys being a victim of like the government and and all that uh Mm -hmm. so then yeah there's this big fight scene uh he manages to uh i think how does he end up killing uh, the, this big Pluto guy? Does he um, stab? He doesn't cut off his head or anything, right? Um, I think he ultimately impales. He it's a number of things where you're kind of like weakening the big bad. Oh yeah, he impales yeah. him at one point, but I don't know if that's what gets him. Yeah, I think he then like hammers, stabs him through the foot with like a screwdriver or something. Oh okay okay, and then maybe takes an axe to him. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. The axe came in, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So now he's axe mode. Uh, but yeah, this this guy Doug, he's like taking quite a beating. He's like been he's like covered in blood at this point. He's lost, I think, some fingers. But yep. Eventually, he manages to kill this guy with the axe. Um, he finds his daughter, um, but then uh, he gets in a fight with the other guy, another mutant guy, and, and they battle it out. And uh, eventually, he ends up uh, getting his daughter after the young mutant Ruby. Uh, sacrifices herself to take out one of the uh, mutants who is attacking him. Yep. And then, uh, in meanwhile, the son and the daughter who are back at the trailer, they battle off one of the mutants who kind of breaks in and starts eating the mom's dead body. They end up blowing up the camper. So the movie ends with them all reuniting, um, but really they're still stuck out in the desert. So I, I don't know, what, where are they going to go from there? Right, not only are they stuck, but the final shot is like a view through binoculars. So, oh right, somebody's still out there looking at them. Yeah, and they don't have like a safe place anymore because they blew up their trailer. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So they're still probably pretty screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a great uh, place to end, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so their what, car what, is wrecked, so they can't. They have no right. working vehicle. I don't think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So what did you think? What did you like? What didn't you like of this? You know, at first I was a little bit like, I don't know if it was underwhelmed, but it was a well done movie, but it was just so beat for beat with the original that I was kind of wondering why bother. Yeah. Um, but I thought that the end, that setting in that fake town and the chase and showdown between Doug and Pluto was really cool. Mm-hmm. And the score that I was kind of digging the whole time, like really shine during that part. Oh yeah, really amped up. Um, I don't know. I I like this movie. the The color palette and everything really remind me of Texas Chainsaw. It's just that yeah, there's something about this like desert Texas type vibe is just so scary. This isn't. This was set in New Mexico, I think, or Nevada. Yeah. I can't remember which one now. New Mexico, I, right? I think it takes place in New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, so you think like the addition of the village and that fight scene kind of like justified this remake or like added enough to it to make it worth it? Yeah, I think, I think it changed enough and they changed the theme enough too. Like, I think the theme in the original was a little bit of, uh, I don't know, like class war in America, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this one's kind of maybe has similar themes too, but really adds a layer with the government and, um, how they can destroy communities as as well, yeah. Um, which, which I liked, and I, I mean, I just thought that third act really kicks ass. Like, yeah, it's kind of balls to the wall there for quite yeah. a few minutes, and with with the violence, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. the action, like the, the them, I wouldn't call it a chase scene, but like Doug's alone in this house, like walking around corners, wondering who else is in the house, and right, uh, you know, where Pluto is now. And Pluto's mm-hmm. like breaking through walls. He's like super strong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like that scene where he's like uh, in the bathroom or, or he's like in some room hiding and like watching the door and then the wall just like kind of busts open and Pluto comes in. Yeah. Through the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you that the action sequences were actually uh, really cool. And, and um, yeah, I thought that fight scene was like probably the highlight of this film. Um, did uh, one, one thing that kind of bothered me though, I mean, like uh, it does kick into high gear. Um, pretty like I guess maybe almost like halfway through it kind of kicks into that uh, where they're like surviving and he's hunting the baby uh, I feel like the character development and the dialogue kind of like comes to a standstill at that point though um, yeah yeah I guess oh, at like the point where everyone dies yeah or half the cast <laughs> dies <laughs> yeah I noticed their characters stopped developing after they died <laughs> <It was> <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you know, the first half hour is kind of built with like the, more around like their relationships and like uh, the dialogue, and then like once like the the father gets like found and then the the women get attacked in the trailer, like there's basically no dialogue after that. Yeah, yeah, it's really about surviving. But the character development, though, it I think it keeps going, especially for Doug, because Doug has been made out to be uh, nobody the. F- father figure in this family big bob surely doesn't like him mm-hmm. they kind of think he's just an 
incompetent sissy. Like they yeah. tease him about being a liberal and stuff like that, and they all like own a bunch of guns. I think Big Bob's an ex-cop or something, and right. he's like, "Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't touch a gun." Um, and he ends up being the hard-ass hero at the end of it and going through hell. And then Bobby, um, is that the kid's the name? Kid? Yeah, Bobby and Brenda, like, yep. they really, they didn't have too much to their characters, but, like, they really got gritty. And and that was part of what the original was about, too, like, sinking to the level of these cannibals to defeat them. Like, they used their own mother's dead body as bait. Like, yeah, come eat this body, and then we'll set a trap for you to explode or burn alive in this uh, trailer that we've rigged. Uh, you know, I, I didn't catch the fact that they were like kind of uh, using the bodies as baits. Um, yeah. How, how, how did they know that these guys were cannibals and would come for the bodies? That's a good question. Yeah, it seems like a uh, good, I mean, it was, it was a good guess on their part. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby was like, I got, I got something. I'm going to put it out there. If it's crazy, we'll think of something else. <laughs> yeah, it involves mom's dead body. <laughs> Don't ask any and the questions. Fact that maybe these people are cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I think that's what happened in the original, and I assume that's what they were doing in this. But maybe yeah. maybe not. Maybe I'm putting the original onto this movie hmm. in my memory. Y- yeah. Uh, no, but I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I like the uh, tension they set up between the characters in the beginning, uh, especially between um, Doug and, and the family, because he's obviously like the outsider. And yeah, they make fun of him for like being this liberal like uh, guy who doesn't agree with guns and other things. And there's that friction there. Um, I would have, I would have appreciated like seeing more of that, like uh, after the violence kicks in, because he kind of breaks away pretty quickly from Brenda and Bobby, and like just kind of goes off on his own to find his daughter. Um, so I, yeah, I think I think it would have been cool to see like more strategic planning between them or something or dialogue and that character still kind of like running through into the action scenes. Like that, you wanted him to be together with the other two. Yeah, just to keep highlighting on like the differences between him versus like the other two and their approaches. Sure, uh, right. Yeah, there's not much dialogue anymore because they're they're isolated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Bobby and Brenda are basically just wrecks, like crying and. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a heavy movie, man, and I. I think it makes it so brutal that our main characters are a family who we seen we have seen acting as a family. We, like, yeah. we see their roles. We see uh, how important they are to each other, even if they're just kind of ripping on each other a good chunk yeah. of the time. But you know, in most horror movies, it's just a bunch of teens or early twenty right. somethings with barely a name. You see, get knocked off just to add to the body count. But then you totally. just see this family destroyed in a matter of brutal, gory seconds. And yeah. Yep. It's a it's a gut punch. That is, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, because you're spending so much time with them. And even though it is like a bigger family, uh, but yeah, you're still right, like that whole dynamic of these people all related to each other and they're watching each other get murdered and killed. It's crazy. Yep. Tortured. Yeah. Um, dying in each other's arms. Yeah, 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 that's rough. And like having to move on really quick. There wasn't a, a sequel to this, was there? There was. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes 2 was in 2007, I believe. This was in 2006. And there was a, a sequel to um, the 1977. I can't even remember if we've said the original was in 1977. And then there was a sequel to that in, I think, 1985. Oh, okay, okay. Does the sequel involve the same characters? From, uh, I assume not. Oh, okay. So it doesn't like pick up like right where, pick up where it's left was. off. I, yeah. I'm, I'm talking on my butt, though, because I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't look into that. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's rare that it does, I guess. Um, yeah, w- did you find uh, the scenes uh, with the dogs to be kind of... I, I feel like th- that went on for a long time, like these dogs just kind of running off and like kind of chasing things in the wild, which, I mean, it's, it's so like, it's such a trope from like horror films that the dog is like the first one to be aware and like kind of go, but I, I feel like that happened a lot in this one. I know there were two dogs, but I don't yeah, know. Did, did that bother you at all? Yeah. Um, no, it didn't bother me. And I remember that from the first one. And honestly, that probably happened in the first one before that was much of a trope. Oh, okay. That did happen in the first one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Um, yeah. I yeah. think that makes sense. You know, I, dogs are, are pretty usually first to sense something like that. I agree. Like your dog yeah, starts yeah. going crazy and then you hear a knock at the door. Yeah. and Or you hear that like familiar yelp, which means the dog just got killed. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
right? Is that how it usually goes? Yeah, you're talking about in movies, not in real life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about real life. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying in real life, dogs do sense things before people do. So yeah, I think true. it makes sense to be a trope of a dog realizing sure. something's amiss first. Sure, sure. I, I just feel like these dogs got a lot of screen time. Like there's a lot of them kind of like uh, wandering off into the hills and, and wandering around. Uh, what did you think of the overall setting, like kind of being, most of this film was daytime, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the the climax was daytime. I think that f- that scene where everything goes to hell is at night when, when yeah. they get ambushed. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm fine with daytime horror. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's easier to see. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, my, my aging eyes, yes, do like that aspect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes these films, the lighting is just crazy. Um, what, did you think the mutants here were scary at all? Um, yeah, sure. I didn't, like, find it terrifying to look at them, but yeah, creepy enough. I, actually, the big brain dude was pretty creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I like they gave him, like, some uh, dialogue and stuff, and he was kind of there for, like, he was on screen for, like, a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Did you think they were scary? Not too much. I kind of thought, and this is where, like, my biggest issue with the film is uh, I feel like tonally, like, the villains almost felt, like, more comical than they were uh, frightening. And then that kind of took away some of the gravity for me for, for, like, some of those attack scenes or what, like, should have been very traumatic uh, events. Uh, it was hard to take seriously because, like, these villains were kind of, uh, I don't know, they were kind of, like, giggling and laughing and jumping around the whole time. And they weren't, mm-hmm. like, really coordinated, I guess. <laughs> In their jumping, it was uncoordinated yeah. jumping. They, they're a little clumsy, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they kept, like, tripping and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, they, they just didn't, like, really scare me. And then I think on top, like, combined with, like, the daytime and then, like, the desert is a pretty open space. I, I feel like if you're in nature... And trying to scare people, like, you know, forests are pretty good for that because you can hide behind trees and there's natural camouflage. If you're out in the middle of the desert, you can kind of see everywhere around you. So I, I don't know, like, something about the setting of this film uh, felt like it was anti-horror in a way. But maybe that's, like, what surprises people about it. Like, do, do you feel any of that? I think your brand of horror, it may not always be, like, your favorite movies, but what you're looking for when you sit down to watch a horror movie you, I'm talking about specifically Ashford, not people in general. <laughs> sure. You want like a supernatural, decent dose of jump scares mixed in with some genuine dread and creepiness with like an eerie setting. Oh, yeah. Isn't that like the definition of horror films? <laughs> kind of. I mean, like supernatural horror and gothic horror maybe, but, yeah, you know, there's a wide range. Like this is just more unsettling and disturbing. Like to me, the desert's scarier because... What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You're just going to run for a while and die of thirst? But in the desert, you'd see someone coming at you from like a mile away, right? Yeah, and then what? Then you just start running a, a mile in the other direction. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you die. got 360 ways to get out of there. There's like no sense of being confined to like a trapped space and you're just like in this big open area. I mean, the scariest thing about a desert is the dehydration probably. Yeah, that's scary enough for me, man. <laughs> yeah. And these people yeah. have like guns and you don't. Uh, did these guys have, gu- I guess uh, they did have guns. They, they had a, a gun because of, uh, well, like the, the, the mutants only had a gun because they took it from that dad, right? Um, yeah, maybe. I'm sure they probably had guns anyway, right? You think so. Yeah. You think that'd be yeah. a core part of their survival strategy. Not to get off on too much of a tangent, but I personally, if I was experiencing something horrific in a woods, I would, um, in the woods, I'd almost feel better because I could be like all right, I know the woods and I can hide just as easily as he can hide. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you just like, you, you think like it goes both ways then. Yeah, right. I've got an advantage too. I can hide. Yeah. I can climb a tree. I can dig a hole. Like in the desert, yeah. you can't do anything. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point too. Well, you, you could still run in, in any like number of directions though, right? In the desert? Yeah. Yeah, but then, I mean, you've got the elements, like the harshness of the elements is even more severe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know why and I said I could dig a hole. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I know. I gotta, I gotta see you in the woods someday. I feel like you and I are very different in the woods. <laughs> uh, I'm just digging a hole like a dog and you're doing clumsy <laughs> jumping like the mutants. Yeah, just tripping over myself. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I guess I, uh, I guess you're right. Yeah, there, there is that aspect of the desert. You are kind of like stranded in the middle of nowhere, and there aren't, there isn't a lot of like escape options. And yeah, that's where like I think at the end of this movie, there isn't really an escape for them. They're still kind of stuck in this uh, environment. Right. That's yeah, it's harsh. kind of like more nihilistic in its tone. Just like now, what you're, you're screwed no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Uh, what What would you give this movie? How many uh, cannibal eating mutants would you give this one? Um, I would give it four cannibal eating mutants. I thought the first two thirds was totally competent and well done. Maybe a little repetitive of the original, but the last third really kicked ass. And I wanted to add too that in that scene where he's like going through the house and. You don't know where the mutants could be. Like the yeah. mannequins really added that too. Like you yeah. turn a corner and there's a mannequin sitting in the, at the dining room table. Like yeah, it, that made it a little eerie. And that's a little bit more of your brand of horror. So I'm a little inter- bit yeah. just interested to see what your your rating is. Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely enjoyed the mannequin part. That was like oh cool. It's actually like some scary uh, visuals here. Uh, so those those very much appreciated. Um, but overall, I think I have the exact opposite. I felt like the first third of the movie was better because it was kind of building up suspense and you haven't like seen the monsters yet uh, or the mutants or whatever. And then I thought when they came, their arrival, I don't feel like lived up to like the hype that the movie was building up. And then the dialogue kind of fell away and some of those uh, character uh, arcs kind of uh, dissolved and it just became like this kind of action uh, survival film. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I preferred the, the, the start. Um, and so I only, I only gave it two and a half, uh, cannibal mutants, I think. Okay. This is our biggest, uh, gap in a little while. We've been pretty consistent with each other for quite a few episodes. Yeah, I know. I was worried about that. <laughs> yeah. Glad, glad we're finally going our separate <laughs> ways on this. Yeah. Yeah. Glad we're not too much alike. Otherwise the woods would be covered in holes. <laughs> oh man. Hey, d- uh, is that in a reference to like pooping in the woods? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why I said that. Okay. <laughs> Although after a while, you get tired of digging a full-on hole, so you find other ways to poop. Yeah. Do you th- is the proper etiquette if you're in a desert also to dig a hole to poop in, or can you just poop on the sand? I don't know that. <laughs> I, I would imagine you dig a hole because it's so easy to dig a hole in the sand, right? Yeah, you just do it with your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to build a sand castle over it. Yeah, that's yeah. what you do. <laughs> Got it. An elaborate sandcastle with your poop like right at the top. <laughs> with a crown um, on it. Yeah, exactly. I always oh, bring a tiny crown when I go camping in the desert. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Gotta go camping more often together. <laughs> Maybe a scepter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, I, man. Well uh should I yeah. get to this uh Texas chainsaw correction? Oh, yeah, let's hear it. Or do we have anything else we wanted to add about uh, Hills Have Eyes? Ah, uh, no, that's all I had. All right. So, one of our beefs in that movie was that, especially maybe one of mine, I can't remember how you felt about it, they kind of set up Jessica Biel and her, oh, spoilers for Texas Chainsaw, by the way. You can cut out now, we've talked about the Hills Have Eyes all we're going <laughs> to. But spoilers for the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Jessica Biel's boyfriend and her are having this conversation at the beginning where she thought he was going to propose on their trip to Mexico. Oh, yeah. And we were saying, like, they set up their relationship and they never went anywhere with it. Um, But our buddy Mondo, who's in our Discord server, and he is a host of the Thematic Elements podcast, so check them out. He said, he pointed out that Leatherface found a ring on her boyfriend's body when he was like prepping it or whatever oh yeah right i either completely missed that or saw it and didn't put two and two together or or whatever yeah i remember that i thought it was uh the boyfriend took it out at some point just to look at it but that was that was a leather face that took it out yeah he he took it out to look at it and he was going to propose oh that makes sense now so the whole time (laughs) he wasn't trying to kill her he was trying to propose to her yeah (laughs) it's misunderstood that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to kill Jessica Biel and then you came out with a chainsaw and saw her, you'd probably rethink your plan. Yeah, yeah, totally. Something that engagement ring makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that since we complain so much about them setting that relationship up and not really going anywhere dramatically with it, that that is definitely somewhere. I still have – I think my complaint still stands, but um, 
but mm-hmm. that takes some of the the wind out of its sails, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, your whole thing was like you wanted to see her have to kill him and like put him out of his misery versus. I think she ended that, up doing that to her. That like other some other dude. Dude. I still think that was yeah. a missed opportunity, but but yeah, we get more closure on the relationship with that uh, that ring find. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, thanks, cool. Mondo, for pointing that out. That's yeah. Important. Yeah. Good catch. Awesome. Well, anything else? Or should we wrap up? Nope. I think it's time to wrap up. Cool. All right. Uh, well, then that's it for our discussion on the Hills of Eyes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on uh, Discord in case you want to join us there and chat with us and some of our other listeners and horror fans. Uh, You can find that link on our website. We also have a Patreon page in case you want to help support us and uh, contribute to the show. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on Etsy.com. Our Ohio connection is from Alex Budin, so check him out at Jukebox Tavern in Cleveland. And until next time, if you're traveling across the country with Brian, uh, maybe don't ask him about all the crowns he has uh, in his backpack. Just <laughs> watch him when he goes uh, to take a shit in the woods, I guess. You don't touch my crown bag. <laughs> yeah, poop crowns. <laughs> <laughs>